You're listening to Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jem. Hey everyone, welcome back. I am Michael Jam and I'm here with Philadelphia Phil Hudson. And this is Screenwriters Need to Hear This, uh, the podcast. Do 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 do. That's our theme song. And because uh, we're writers, we don't really write music. But today we're talking about uh, today's subject is called day to day. What it's really like to be a professional TV writer. Yeah. And so this is going to be like a nuts and bolts. A lot of people want to know, like, what? No, but what is it really like? What do I really actually do on a day to day? And it honestly, it just depends on what is going on in my life at that moment. Like if I'm, I'm literally on a show, then it's one thing. If I'm running a show, it's another thing. If it's, if I'm in between gigs, if I'm developing, it's different. So I'll try to go through a bunch of different scenarios and, and really like hope you let you live it as if you're walking through it. But, um, there's really no what there's no one day that that's part of the I guess part of the joy of the job is that it's uh you know it's so variable um and also depends if you're in production or you're in pre-production or post-production but but on a day-to-day basis this is how it kind of goes uh when I'm employed I'm when I'm on a show it kind of depends if whether I'm in a single camera show or multi-camera show or animation it just depends but you have pre-production that's like the perfect time that's when the writer's really are working on figuring out what the episodes are going to be. We're writing all the episodes. Pre-production might be 10, might be 12 weeks on a short order show or something like that. And those are the, that's kind of when everything's okay. The hours are okay. You're working kind of banker's hours, or maybe you're working from 10 to like six or so. And uh, that's when things are kind of sane. And so that's kind of like the writing period. That's pre-production. But once you go into production, everything goes out the window. And it really depends on what kind of show you're doing. You could be working the work. There's a lot of rewriting that has to get done. Sometimes you don't get all the work done, all the writing in pre-production, and you have to do it while you're shooting at the same time. Sometimes you get notes from back from the network. Sometimes you're on the set and the scene isn't working. You have to rewrite it while you're there. And that's when the hours can get really bad. And if you're on a multi-camera show, it's not uncommon to work 14 hours a day. That's a long day. Uh, many days in a row, sometimes weekends, because you have to do the rewrite. You have to get the work done. So that's what that's what it's like to be on a multi-camera show. You are going to be working really bad hours. On a single camera show, there tends to be less rewriting because there's less rehearsal and you're shooting every day. So the hours tend to be a little better on a single camera show. Not always though. Uh, and then on an animated show, the hours tend to be kind of sane, you know, because more like, more like bankers hours were maybe like 10 to seven. It's, it's not, it's kind of unusual to get out by dinner time. Most shows you'll be working past dinner on most shows. If you're in production, even animation, but on like on King of the Hill, like that's kind of what it was or any of the other, or Glenn Martin, which we ran, those are hours were pretty good in terms of, uh, TV. Like you'd only work to like seven, which is a long day and you're fried at the end of the day. But at least you're not working till like, you know, two in the morning, which I've done plenty of times. And, and that gets old. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's when you are on a show in production. Sometimes you are on. Some people say, well, are the writers allowed to be on set? And I'm like, allowed. The writers have to be on set. Like, it's it's not like allowed. It makes it sound like it's a joy. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> like a, that's, that's a, a difference between. That's the difference between film and television, right? Because in film, it's a director's medium. But in TV, yeah. the showrunner, the head writer. It's yeah. their show. And so 
you writer is an emissary of the showrunner and that's why they're yeah. there to make sure that it, they get what the showrunner wants. Exactly. So sometimes the showrunner will be the only writer on set. Sometimes the showrunner will send uh, one of the higher up levels, like a co-executive producer to be their proxy. Or sometimes the showrunner will send the, the writer who actually wrote that episode on set. It just depends how the showrunner wants to run it. You know, and sometimes the showrunner has all the writers on set to do rewriting. You know, it just depends on what the, sh the showrunner gets to decide, basically. So however he or she wants to do it. Um, so that's that's a very fast description of what it's like to be in production. And, and I didn't even go into the details. I kind of just want to, sh there's more to talk about when you're not in production. So mm -hmm. sometimes, uh, as is the case now, you will be, we'll have a show in production then we'll it'll wrap or whatever we won't or we won't be involved in the production. We'll be involved in the pre-production, and then my partner and I will go off and try to sell. We'll try to develop. So sometimes we'll my partner and I will work eh, maybe a half a day, or you know, coming up with ideas, and we get fried, and we so we're work we're working on development, and and then we're constantly coming up with ideas. And and by the way, when that happens, we're not getting paid. So we are trying to sell a show. Then we'll hopefully take that show out and pitch it. And then if you sell it, then you are in development. And then you'll work full days working on an outline, working on you know a rewrite, a first draft, a second draft. And then sometimes you'll have to wait two weeks or three weeks as you're waiting for notes. And it's always hurry up and wait. Everyone wants the note. They always want the script immediately. And very often they will spend, it'll take them longer to actually read it than it took for us to write it, which is a crime as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's so disrespectful, but that's just how it goes. And so you'll have to sit around and you have to wait for them to decide whether they want, and it's often because it's committee. They have to have a thousand different people read it to decide what, what their opinion is. And so that's just how that goes. Uh, and you're waiting for notes from higher ups or whatever. So there could be a lot of hurry up and wait. But when you're in development, then the hours tend to be a lot saner. You tend to be working you know, again, the hours that you want to work, my partner and I, we try to like work sane hours. I get there, you know, around 10 in the morning and, you know, we're a full, a full day would be working till three, from 10 to three, because we, you know, you can't work so much on one thing. You get fried uh, unless we're, you know, against the gun, then we'll work a little longer. But that's what a day looks can I, like. Can I ask yeah. you a question about post-production? What does yeah. post-production oh. look like? Okay, let's, so what is post-production? So post-production is, after the show is is shot, everything's in the can. Now you have to put it together. And so that involves editing, coloring, music spotting, mixing, which you check all the levels of the audio levels. And then you finally deliver, uh, the, deliver the cut to the network. The network may have notes and there's a lot of back and forth. You're always getting notes. It's never like you just say, say hey, there's here it is. They always have something to say. And that they're entitled to, they're paying for it. And so... The hours on that, it, it just, it again, it depends. What will happen is, uh, as a showrunner, the most writers are not involved in post-production at all. So usually it's just the showrunner is involved in that. And so what happens is the director will go in and uh, and uh, the work on the, the editor will put together, assemble a cut. The editor will take several days putting together a cut. Then the director will sit with the editor for several days, giving notes on their cut. Then the director will turn their cut into the showrunner. The showrunner looks at it and the showrunner may say, this is great. Or uh, this needs to be completely redone. And I've had, even if it's great, I still have notes. Believe me, there's always notes. But it's not uncommon for a director to turn in something which is absolutely wrong. And you know it the minute you watch it. You go, the pacing is slow. It doesn't, there's no life. Uh, the shot selection is wrong. And and it's, it's pretty obvious 
to any showrunner who's done it for any amount of time uh, when something is works and doesn't work. It's not, to me, it doesn't really feel like a matter of opinion. It, feel, it almost feels like fact. I know this can be better. I know this is worse. And sometimes I'll, I'll experiment with it. I go, okay, you know what? I couldn't make it better. So let's go back to the, the director's cut. Sometimes I'll go in and um, I'll say, let me say, I'll say to the editor, because you literally sit next to the editor, sit side by side. This mm-hmm. is before COVID. Now it's done on Zoom. But you sit at the editor's, the editor's side and you say, this, okay, this doesn't work. Let me see the editor's cut. And often the editor's cut, you know, not often or sometimes the editor's cut is better than the director's cut. It just depends. Some Because a director will only work on a show often for, you know, a couple episodes, but the editor works on the show all the time, every episode. And so it's not uncommon for the for an editor to have a better feel of the for what the showrunner wants than than the the director does, who's actually just they can, a, you they know, can anticipate what the showrunner wants, right? Because they are hearing those notes all day, every yep. day, and might have for seasons. Yeah, and so I, my partner, we try to work with a lot of the same editors because they know us, they get us, and uh, it's a it's a very it's a there's a lot of trust with them. They they know what we like, but also uh, I trust them that you know I I, I I'll sit with them. And I go, well, what do you think here? What's your opinion? And then they'll say this. I go, okay, good. This is. You, I trust you. Let's let's go with that. So it's a lot of, um, I like, that's why I have my favorite editors because I just, I like their sensibility and their style because honestly, a show can be made in post-production. It can be ruined. It can be made in post-production and people think, well, I don't understand. You just shot it. No, post-production editing is so important for the pacing and the shot selection. Uh, a scene that's played in a master in a wide you know, it's not going to feel emotional. It just, it just, it probably won't because you don't see the the faces on the actors. So you may want to uh, cut to singles or our two shot will play very, will feel very differently than uh, going to switching to singles because singles, you can pace up, you can go cut from this shot to this shot, but in the mat, in a two shot, you're playing it all in a two shot. You can't pace up the scene. You can't cut the, 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 the spaces between and that, what an actor is saying, you can't, something to cut to. So you need those singles. Mm-hmm. So all of it can be made. And, uh, and I know this is not what we're really talking about, but so I can spend a lot of time in post-production, uh, but the hours are never really that bad. Often you're just there for a few hours a day or half a day uh, doing post. And then you have to and, wait a couple of days for the next step. Right. And as a, as a showrunner with a partner, you've mentioned in the past that sometimes you are there, or sometimes your writing partner is there yeah. uh, and you kind of, one of you is on set, one of you is in post yeah. handling that during you know, I work on Tacoma FD and I'm the post PA or have been the post PA for the last couple of seasons. And that's very much those two guys are cutting simultaneously with two different editors, but because they're doing so much stuff during production, no real post-production is happening. So we yeah. wrap the editors are putting together assembly cuts and they're putting together dailies so that the showrunners can review them over weekends and on breaks, but they're sitting down with their notes and the editors and cutting everything after we're done just mm-hmm. to make sure that they're able to get the show that they want because they yeah. have time them. Yeah. And some, um, and by the way, I don't want to discount what, what directors do. I don't want to make it sound like, well, they're just like cogs in the machine. There are editor, uh, directors who are really can put together a really good cut. Uh, and I remember just like we went on Marin, we had a really difficult scene to shoot. It was really, really difficult involved like uh, Mark hallucinating and, uh, and Lynn Shelton was directing and we were always panicked. I was like, this is going to be hard. And then she put together a cut and it, it didn't work. And I was like, oh no, I had to go in and, and watch it. And now I'm struggling with it. 
I was struggling watching. I was like, I think I know how to cut this together. I'm not sure. And then a couple of days later, she said, she she knew it didn't work. And she sent me more notes. She goes, I figured it out. Try this. Because she had already delivered her cut. She was done, but she was still working on it in her head. And she saved it. She saved it a couple of days later. That's awesome. Uh, because she, you know, she knew she was, she had to figure it out in her head after it was already cut. And uh, so some directors, uh, you know, it's not always, it's not, it's not always that easy. And this is why shot coverage is so important, why you have to have covered the scene so many different ways. And I remember in that scene, we couldn't cover it as many times as we wanted to simply because uh, for time constraints. And so it was like, I remember thinking, talking to her beforehand, do you know how this is going to cut together? And she's, yeah, I, I, I know. I know how it's going to cut together. I'm like, I'm glad you do because I'm not sure how it was going to cut together. Um, yeah. And but and we both struggled. So, uh, but yeah, so some directors are really great. I just want to make sure I throw that in there. Um, so that's that's what post production can look like, and it's very cushy. Post production is, is for me is always the cushiest. You're just going in and you can really make the show, and it's it's a kind of fun. Then you sit in post and you sit in the mixing session. You know, that's a couple hours. It's very laid back. It's all very. It's all very civilized. That's something some people may not know. Can you can you explain what mixing is? Because I think this is a little nebulous to people. Yeah, mixing session. So after uh, you do a music spotting session, so that's when you sit with the the music supervisor and the composer, and you'll say, "Let's here's the here's the cut. We're going to need music. I want a sting here. This should be a happy sting. This should be a sad song. And sometimes we'll license something. We purchase it. Sometimes the composer will compose something. And this is where we talk about it there, and we get choices. And then you'll go off, uh, uh, you'll hear it later. Often it's at the mixing session. You'll hear the music and you go, okay, okay, we got way too much music here. Or I don't like that cue. Pull out that cue. Uh, you're, you're really just mixing the levels and, and the audio. But you're also doing things like re- like background things. Like uh, usually, you know, quiet on the set, right? You don't want noise on the set. But then when you go into the mixing session, you're adding the noise back in. You're adding uh, the ruffling of a newspaper. You're adding uh, birds Foley. in the background. Foley. You could be doing Foley. You can be on, on, on an animated show. There is no background noise. It's all animated. So like on King of the Hill, if the guys were in the alley, you have to add in the sound of the birds. You know, in the alley, the birds chirping. And I remember being in a mixing session and I'm thinking, I, I stopped it. I go, why are there so many birds? It sounds like we are in an aviary. What is going on? And the guy's like, oh, okay, let's pull out some of these birds. And so we cut the birds in half. I'm like, we still got too many birds. Uh, and then what happens is you're listening it to, you're listening to the sound on what they call the bigs. So the bigs are these big giant uh, stadium stadium speakers. And um, that, you know, so that you can hear everything. But most people are not listening to their, you know, watching the show on, on a stadium speaker with, you know, they're they have, even if they have a home theater or they have a, they, their speakers are much smaller. So then you'll say, okay, we hear it on the bigs. Let's hear it on the smalls. And then you spend all this time mixing it for the bigs. Then you hear it on the smalls and you're like, I don't hear any, the stuff that I heard on the bigs, I don't hear anything at all. And now, you know, and half the people are going to be watching on their phone and they're not going to hear a fraction of what you hear on the smalls. And so it's really hard today to mix, to do a mixing session, to make sure that people can hear it on whatever device they're consuming it on, you know, because you want to make sure all of it, you, the songs can be heard, the music, the lyrics, and the, the, the vocals, and also the dialogue and all that stuff. Uh, and so that's, you know, that's what the mixer, that's the mixing session. That's when you try to get all those levels just right. And you can spend hours and hours. And then, you know, like I said, you play it back on the smalls and you go, I don't even hear it anymore. Or you watch it at home and you go, okay, all those birds, 
I don't hear any of the birds. Uh, you know, we spent hours. Should have doubled right? the birds. Should have doubled yeah. the birds. We should have um, doubled the bird. Yeah, but it becomes it becomes distracting too if you have too many birds. So. Yeah. So, so to note for listeners, uh, the things you're describing are not typical for a writer. They're typical for an executive producer. For well, a yeah, executive producer, showrunner, right. Most writers, sometimes a, a writer will be invited to a mixing session. And it's like, hey, you, you want to come? And you'll get their, you know, they, you, you let them as a treat. And often they'll, um, you know, you let them voice their opinion. But sometimes you kind of don't want it. You're like, listen, I'm, I'm running out of time. I don't really want to deal with any more notes from anybody but sometimes you but it's also important to let them sit in just so that they are experienced enough so that when the time comes and they have their own show it's not all brand new to them so i had been in mixing sessions even before i was a showrunner and, and i sat through you know records and uh, recording sessions and, yeah and you've been kind so. enough to invite me to mixing sessions before in the yeah past too so it's fun it's fun to sit in. interesting yeah so, okay so so uh, post-production mixing then there's more there's more to talk about. So people say, well, what about vacation, right? Just so you know, if you want to be a TV writer, you do not get vacation. Your vacation is called unemployment. With very rare exception. So when I was on King of the Hill, that was an animated show and we that was year round. And so on that show, I think we had three weeks of vacation. We could, as long as we told the boss and it worked fine, you can make a vacation and you can actually go somewhere. But on any other show, I've never, ever had a vacation. Uh, it's, it's unemployment. So if you're lucky, you'll be... Back in the day on Just Shoot Me and shows like that, you'd work, let's say, 24 episodes or 22 episodes a season. That's a full season. Then you'd take a hiatus. That's like, so that's like, that's like, you know, whatever, nine months of work. You take a two, three months hiatus. Then you go back to work. And during that hiatus, you're not getting paid, but that's your, you're exhausted from those crazy 14 hour days you've done. And you're just, you're, you're, that's your downtime. You could travel, you could do whatever you want, but you're not getting paid. You just hope that you're not going to get fired. But today, with their series orders so much show, uh, smaller, it's, it's unusual to be on a show to get 22 episodes. I mean, some shows do, of course. But this year on Game of Thrones, what do they do? 13 or something? And that's obviously a hit show. So it's, it, uh, it's now for a writer, you don't have the luxury of, you know, a vacation. You're, you're, you're just saying, okay, this is my unemployment time, and I'm going to trust that I can afford to take a vacation. So that's the reality, you know, mm. no, you don't get vacation. You get unemployment. Uh, right. Sometimes it's not uncommon to spend more time in a year looking for work than actually working. That's, you know, that's not uncommon, uh, you know, and so, if, and looking for work often means doing free work. And so for the people who say, uh, you know, I, well, I, you know, I already wrote a script. How many spec scripts do I write? I, you know, do I have to write another? Do I have to write another? If if the idea of working for free makes your stomach, you know, turn, just know that you will always be working for free at some point, even later in your career, even you're me, I have plenty of work that I have to do for free. I'll try to come up with an idea. I'll spend weeks or months on it and it won't sell. And that's just how it goes. That's how it yeah. is. That's the reality, the day-to-day -day reality of being a TV writer. Hey, it's Michael Jammin. If you like my videos and you want me to email them to you for free, join my watch list. Every Friday, I send out my top three videos. These are for writers, actors, creative types. You can unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm not going to spam you, and it's absolutely free. Just go to michaeljammin.com slash watchlist. So on that, on that note, when you talk about free work, 
early on when I was first learning about riding and you learn about the WGA and you look it up and it's like, oh, they have all these protected things. There are steps to protect riders from the unpaid producers draft and all that other stuff. How do you balance the spec pilot process with the protections of the WGA? Also, that's all, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the WGA. That's all well and good. But in reality, in reality, uh, there's really not much they can do to protect a rider from those three steps. So what that means is, especially in the world, that's one of the reasons I really did not like working in features. You know, I prefer working in TV. Uh, but in features, what it usually works is you, a writer will pitch a, an idea to a producer, a big producer, then the producer will bring that idea to a studio and try to sell it. So now the producer is attached and it's, it just makes it easier to get this thing sold if you have a producer attached. But the drawback is, if you could call it a drawback, so let's say hopefully you sell it, but now the producer is going to use their expertise to help guide the script. And so you're going to turn in draft after draft for outline, then draft after draft to the producer, and the producer is going to have notes. And the studio, who's paying the bills, the studio is going to say, yeah, you have to, you know, we're going to pay you for an outline, a first draft, a second draft, and a polish and a revision or whatever. They, they, you know, that's how it works. So five, let's say five steps. But the producer is going to say, well, yeah, but it's not ready to turn in. I don't, I don't have a good feeling about this draft. I don't feel like this draft is good enough to turn into the studio. And then you're going to, well, I think it's good enough. And the producers will say, well, I don't think it's good enough. Don't you want to get it made? And then they are going to literally guilt you into doing more work, more steps before you can turn in this script to the studio. And there's not much the guild can do to protect you. And maybe the producer's right. Maybe it does make it better. Maybe it makes it worse. We don't, I don't know. But um, there's really not much you can do. And, and, and common sense is going to say, well, this producer knows more about this than I do, probably, because they're successful. And the producer is not, they, they don't want to turn into the studio yet. They don't feel it's ready. It doesn't, they don't feel it reflects their, you know, their uh, expertise. And so they may or may not agree with you. They may, and they may be the roadblock. And, and they may require you to do a free rewrite, a free step before they're willing to turn it into the studio. And, you know, it's a gray area. What are you going to do? There's really not much that can be done and the studio can be done, you know, because the producer's not paying you, the studio's paying you. But it's just another reason why I don't prefer to work. I wear, it's why I prefer to work in TV. You don't have to worry about that in TV. Mm, yeah. I think from going through the process of the podcast and helping with the course and that kind of stuff, I think the, the main note I've got from you is don't stress about those details. Focus on telling a great story first. Yeah, and, those and are all high class like problems, those... by the way. Yeah, they're high class problems. Well, how, you know, am I spending too much time on this paid project? It's like, well, at least you're getting paid, you know? Right, right. right. So don't work. you have to worry about that. And by the way, and I, I should probably amend that because even on a TV show, you could be required to do more work than you think. You know, it's not uncommon to turn a draft to, the boss, the showrunner, and them say, "Do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again." And technically, you're not re you're not really getting paid extra for that, but that's part of your that's part of your salary. I mean, uh, you are because you're getting a weekly salary, and that's part of the salary. Okay. So, um, outside of that, are there any other benefits that come from being a working writer? Like, I know the WGA has pension and healthcare right. and that kind of stuff. Do you want to yeah wanna talk about that or anything else? Well, yeah. So the that's where we get our health insurance from is through the Writers Guild and we get our pension through the Writers Guild. And so part of our salary when we get a job, uh, that's that they pay into that. And so, uh, yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge benefit. If you didn't, you wouldn't have health insurance. You wouldn't have, uh, you know, your pension. And, and that's why 
I like working on all WGA shows. And people say, well, when do I join the WGA? You join when you sell a certain number of projects. You have to earn a certain number of points. Then the WGA says, okay, now you can join. It's not like anyone can join. You have to qualify to join. Yeah. And we've talked about this because, uh, you know, Mike Rapp, who was our script coordinator, got bumped. He did a freelance episode, which gave him a certain number of points, but that wasn't enough to join the join the WGA. But then he got hired as a staff writer. And so I think it's I think it's four points per thing you sell. You need 24 points to join. But being on staff, you get two points per week in addition to the points you get for the draft for the episode. Interesting. You're gonna write. And so just by being staffed for like 12 weeks or whatever it is, that's plenty even if you don't get a script. And then and you have to, to oh, I didn't know that. And then and then you have to pay an induction fee too. Yep, and they take it out of your check. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's only, it's a one-time fee, but then you on top of that, you have to pay a small percentage, percentage of your money <laughs> of your earnings back in. But that yeah. does go to your retirement and to your healthcare, which is probably still cheaper than what I'm paying on the open market right now for myself and my family. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Oh yeah, our, our, our insurance is really good. Uh, no one complains about the writer's guild insurance. And, uh, but, and, but also the writer's guild gives you these protections, uh, minimums, but also you wouldn't have gotten any of these, if it wasn't for the writers that went before you, that struck yeah. and did all these sacrifices, you wouldn't be making this kind of money or you wouldn't have any of these health insurance or anything. So, you know, it's, it stinks that they take the money from you, but you know, again, that's how it goes. That's what you're paying for. And, uh, and and again, you wouldn't have had anything without the writer's guild. So I don't complain about that. That's just the basics I'm, I'm, of collective bargaining, for. right? The yeah. basics of collective bargaining. And, you know, I'm probably the capitalist on the podcast and I understand the value of unions and these types of things for specialized work, which is what writing is. It protects credits and it protects the fact that these people can do this job. And um, it that's the person you go to. So I think the note that I would give people is don't stress too much about those things. But when you are in the WGA, now you have a massive resource and a machine that can help you and protect you and make sure. And I've heard, yeah. I've heard stories of people who checks were late and the WGA hurt, got wind of it, and they contacted the studio and made them pay back interest on delayed payments because of monies that they weren't able to get, you know, based on free market interest rates. It's pretty, pretty wild. Yeah, the guild, the writers guild is a uh, they're tough. I I'm, you know, of all the guilds, I think they're the I, my opinion is they're the toughest in terms of uh fighting for their members, you know. So yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So you talked about minimums and payments and stuff. Do you have like do you want to go over minimums for things like comedy, drama, that kind of stuff? Well, it people are like, "Well, how much money am I going to get paid?" And so it just depends if you're running a network show, a cable show, an hour long, half hour, whatever. And so what you can do if you're really curious about it, you would go to the WGA website and search for the schedule of minimums. Yeah, and that will tell you, it's a PDF, right. And they'll tell you uh, like, how, how much the studio has to pay you if it's a guild show. They could pay you more, you can negotiate for more, but the bottom, the bottom line is they have to pay you at least this much. And it's, it's usually a good amount, you know? Yeah, so, I wanna say like for a spec script, for a spec feature, it's like, 70k it's not nothing like it might be more it might be like 130 i think and it might, and i but it also depends on the budget 70. but that depends yeah. on the budget of the that might be a lower budget i think for a higher budget they have to pay more so yeah. i don't know i don't know much about features so what do i know but um but yeah but all that information is out there if you want to get it you go to the wga website search for schedule of minimums and uh so that's the day-to-day -day, i hope i hope to tell you that uh like some people say can you can you make a living well, yeah, some people can. Some people can't. I mean, it just depends how often you're working and, you know, 
yeah. It just depends. Do you think your advice depends. <laughs> I was gonna ask, do you think your advice on uh, some of our earlier podcasts about putting yourself out there and owning your work and effectively branding yourself? I'm assuming that that would help you keep and continue to work if people consider you and think of you as this type of writer who does this type of thing. Me personally, so, you mean? No, I'm just saying in general advice you gave to put yourself out there, make stuff, oh. don't put content out, but put out high quality things. Yeah. I'm assuming yeah. That, that would help. I don't think it hurts. I mean, it's, it raises your profile and it shows more people what you can do and you have a built-in audience. And so like, even now with me, I have an audience now when, when I have a show I can want to promote, you know, I can go on my platform and promote it. And so that's something I didn't have a year ago. So that only helps, you know? Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Any other thoughts? I'm all out of thoughts. I'm all out of thoughts. Okay. But if, if anybody wants to, we have, Phil, we have a lot of goodies that we give out on our site. Yeah, we do. Um, so first thing, again, we have the free lesson. It's the first lesson from your course. I think it's split up into three and you kind of give a little bit of extra notes on that. Uh, mm-hmm. so you can sign up for that at michaeljammon.com slash free. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's a gold mine of information just sitting in there. Uh, number two is the online screenwriting course. And again, if you haven't heard about that, you should go check it out. Um, we're seeing a lot of success with the members of that group. It's a really impressive group too. I, I think that we've talked about the value of having almost like a, a barrier to entry, if you will, for mm-hmm. people who are interested in taking this seriously. So the type of writers that we get in there are very serious. They organize their own weekly table reading session where they're that impressed me. Scripts. They, 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 they made a, I didn't even know you could do this because we have a private Facebook group just for people right. in the course. And then they made a room. I didn't know you could do this. You can make a room yeah. in, the, in the. They were doing and, it on Zoom and I joined one a couple of weeks ago and uh, had a great experience, read Lori's script. And it was, uh, it was really, really eye opening. I think everyone gives quick feedback on it. And then I just mentioned that you could do a room right there in the group so that you didn't have this technical barrier of trying to download Zoom and get people in because people were showing up late. Uh, and they tested out. This was uh, Dave Crossman and, and was it Glenn Toussaint, I think is yeah. how you say his last name. Yeah, they put that together with a couple other people. And, and so that was blown all- up. Yeah, I was like, that's cool. I didn't even know you could do that. I'm glad you mentioned it to them. But it's good. So there's like a, you know, and that's a great networking opportunity. These people, obviously, yeah. obviously it's a networking opportunity. That's what they're doing. Well, well, outside of that, I think, you know, I personally have put two scripts out to people in that group to get notes back. And mm-hmm. you're getting a different level of notes than I've had in film school or other places where people are talking theory. These are people who are hearing, they've learned your lessons, they know what the perspective is, what the yeah. job is. Um, and so the notes are just a higher caliber and they're pointing out the problems with the story, not, I don't like the way you said this or you had a typo on page five. You still get yeah. those, but you're also getting, hey, structurally, you're missing this beat. And I don't understand how this this thing happens in act three and I don't think it was planted well in act one. You know, that kind of nuanced, really high level note. I'm getting yeah. giving a lot of that. But also I'm giving a lot of notes to people in that group too. And by reading so many scripts and having to think about that process and structure and storytelling, my writing's exponentially improved. Yeah. So yeah. So that's michaeljammon.com slash course if you're interested in that. And I'd highly, highly recommend checking that out if you're serious about making this work. Um, I'll say that you got the watch list uh, at michaeljammon.com slash watch list, which are your top three videos. It's a weekly newsletter that goes out 100% free. We don't bombard people. We just send one email per week. And uh, yeah, get on that. It's just great. It's more free stuff. Yeah. Well, I was going to say outside of that is your social media. I, I don't think we talked oh. about it in the last podcast. 
at Michael Jam and Writer on most social platforms. And you give out basically daily free screenwriting tips. And then you're on live Q&As all the time with people just answering questions and talking to people, which yeah. is a lot of value. And we do post those on YouTube. We put the first one up uh, uh, this week and got a bunch of people commenting, oh, I didn't even know you went live. And this thing's from June yeah, 22nd. Miss- yeah, they missed it. But yeah, but yeah. So especially on Instagram, I'll go live and uh, uh, yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I try to add, that's where if you have... um if you can set your notifications up, you don't want to miss that because people sometimes if people send a question and I think a lot of people, if I think a lot of people want to hear the answer, then I try to do a video on it. If I, especially if I think I can make a three minute video, if it's like, you know, if I only get, get 10 seconds out of it, I might not answer it, but on a live, they got me. So if they ask me a question and I can answer it, whatever. Yeah, and you're if literally they, reading every single comment yeah. as you go through there while you have time and doing it. So yeah. Right. Cool. I think, you know, what kind of dog food should my dog have? I'll answer that. You know, whatever you want, whatever you want to know, I'll answer. But again, I want to highlight this to the people who are listening to this podcast, who are not following you on social media, who are not taking advantage of some of the free stuff that you're putting out there. Like this is stuff that just did not exist 10 years ago. It's yeah. just, you know, the level of accessibility that you give to people. I mean, you get to hear a showrunner giving you his opinion about Hollywood in 2022 when we're recording this, talking about the film market, talking about what people are looking for, talking about, you know, the nuances of writing and being a professional. It's an incredible resource to people. And so I'd also encourage you, you know, go share this with someone else who you think could value from this and go leave a review. Let us know what, how we're doing. Go to iTunes and drop a review on the podcast, wherever you're listening to this and, and make sure people know that Michael's doing this kind of stuff because I would have killed for this type of content. Yeah, that's. I I would have killed for it a year ago, and I'm just so grateful I have an opportunity to be here with you, man. That's why. That's how you can thank us is if you could just leave a review on iTunes because that actually helps you know people find us and helps us you know uh, come up in their search results and stuff like that. So that would be a good way because we're not charged. Obviously, we're not charging for the podcast. So if if you like it, please uh, make the effort to just you know just leave us a nice comment. Five stars is great, but the comment I think is what I think what really moves the needle, right, Phil? Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely, absolutely. Great. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. This was a nice talk. This has been an episode of Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jamin and Phil Hudson. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing this podcast with someone who needs to hear today's subject. For free daily screenwriting tips, follow Michael on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Michael Jamin Writer. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Phil A. Hudson. This episode was produced by Phil Hudson and edited by Dallas Crane. Until next time, keep writing.